I thought you weren't going to do it. I wasn't going to know what to do. I know. You were so confused. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to Gritty Reboot. I'm Pedro. And I'm Meredith. So today we are covering Fletch. Yep. So, and this is a little bit different for us. I think this is the first straight up real, real comedy that we, well, I guess we did the Munsters. That's a comedy as well, but that's a, a little bit different, I guess. This is the first time we are doing a movie that is started out as a comedy. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a different take here. You think so? I think so. Yeah, I um It's kind of hard to say that the 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 reboot is necessarily gritty, but yeah. it is a reboot. Yeah, I know. It's, it's we're going to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, that, that's the one thing. The, the reboot is an interesting format cuz it basically tries to kind of pick up where the previous films kind of left off. I'm carrying that same kind of attitude and, and vibe to it, which is something I appreciate. But we'll get to uh, when we get to it, because we have to talk about, the, I guess, the real star here in this podcast. And it's going to be Chevy Chase. Yeah. So this is uh, 1985, right? 85. So this is 85. Chevy Chase is off of Saturday Night Live and everything like that. But he isn't exactly Chevy Chase, the household name, the huge star or anything like that. I think most of his big films are going to come after this. 85 is, is a big year for him. I think National Lampoon is this year. Uh, another uh, one of his big movies is also here. So this is when he gets launched into the stratosphere. Yeah. And Fletch is one of those films that helps him do that. So the thing about Chevy Chase is he is a gifted comedian and a gifted physical comedian as well. Like his ability to do like physical slapstick is amazing. Even from back in his old SNL days to the Clark W. Griswold days as well in the early 90s. See, I think he's a little overrated, but I'm also not from that time period where he was very popular. Yeah, yeah. Like, I love, you know, certain movies from him, but I'm not, like, a huge fan. Well, you know, I, I think that the way I grew up, I saw a lot of his movies as a kid. You know, Fletch was one that, that was in there, but it wasn't in a lot of the rotation as, as a child because it's a little bit more of a mature film. Um, you know, because a lot focuses on the mystery that makes up the movie. Mm-hmm. As opposed to really anything else. Like, I've seen a lot of Funny Farm over the years and The Three Amigos. So, obviously, it wasn't watched as much as those movies. But those movies are a bit more of a crowd pleaser. Maybe not so much. Actually, Funny Farm is really underrated. I, I I really represent that movie. The Three Amigos is massively overrated on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> People really like Three Amigos. And it's got some nice gags in it. But it's not that great considering the, the talent level in it. It's pretty good. You really, you really like Three I Amigos? I like Three Amigos. Wow, all right. Well, heck, what do I know? No, yeah, it, what do you it, know? No, it's, it's one of those movies I think is good. But people talk about it like it's a great comedy. And it, I mean, granted, I, I reference it all the time. Would you say I have a plethora of sweaters? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I do mention it quite a bit. So, I, yeah, I guess maybe it's stuck with me over the years. But um, Fletch is uh, delivered to us by uh, Michael Ritchie. Uh, he's the director. And uh, the movie stars Joe Don Baker, who is, by the way, second build. And Joe Don Baker's in what? Two or three scenes? Right. He's the cop bad guy. I think. Well, you know Joe Don. Everybody knows Joe Don Baker. Gina Davis, uh, Richard Libertini, uh, Tim Matheson uh, from Animal House. Uh, M. Emmett Walsh. Um, that's a name you may not know, but if you look up M. Emmett Walsh, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that guy. Uh, t- character actor, ton of work. George Went, one of the funniest men alive. Should have been more uh, big movies and stuff like that. And, of course, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in this film. Yeah, of course. Uh, and, of course, one Chevrolet Cubert Chase. Chevrolet. Is that really his name? Of course it is. Wow. I, I have no idea. <laughs> but I would have believed you. Yeah, I know you would have believed me. You would have told him more. Did you know Chevy, Ch- Chevy Chase's name is actually Chevrolet? And I, I have no idea what his name is. And now it's the first thing I'm going to Google once we're done with this show. Yeah, I wonder what his full name is. 
Or if maybe Chevy is his name. It could be. It could, I, I will admit I've never met another homie named Chevy. Yeah, I know. You'd think a bunch of people would be named after Chevy Chase after being so popular. It, it could. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's probably a lot of late 80s kids maybe named Chevy. A lot of parents walked out of uh, walked out of this movie or, or walked out of a National Lampoon film. We're like, you know what? Let's name our our spawn after Chevy Chase, the lead of this motion picture. Yeah, you know what could happen. So I, I want to talk about uh, Michael Ritchie uh, for one second because Michael Ritchie has a very unique quality about him. It is that he has an incredibly eclectic film career, and I, I really do mean that because he's directed you know documentaries, comedies, action pictures. He, I mean, he really has, um, I mean, he's, his, his career basically gets started, uh, with a smile and a movie you probably know with the bad news bears in 1975. Oh, okay. Yeah. That is a, uh, a classic of the underdog sports film genre, uh, a very big time, uh, movie as well. And then in the eighties, I mean, he has a, a real, uh, real great period. He has Fletch here in 85, uh, Wildcats with a uh, Goldie Hawn. And then, uh, one of the big failures, uh, the golden child with Eddie Murphy. So the guy really was all over the 80s. And the thing that also I wanted to mention about him is he directed the sequel to this movie, Fletch Lives. And it might be one of the rare times I could think of somebody working with uh, Chevy Chase for a second time. Yeah. Usually most people try to avoid working with Chevy Chase in any way, shape, or form. And he actually went back and did it a third time. He worked with him in the utterly forgettable Cops and Robertsons with him and Jack Palance, or Palance, if you will. He also directed a movie called The Scout, which I really like, even though I think I'm the only person that likes this Albert Brooks, um, Brendan Fraser baseball movie from the 90s. But he's a very eclectic director, and he does really nice work here, and he does something that a lot of people can't do, and that's kind of manage Chevy Chase. Yeah. Because Chevy Chase wants to do what Chevy Chase wants to do. So when you do a movie with him or a TV show like Dan Harmon found out— you're going to have to appease him in some way, shape, or form to get the best work out of him. Because once you appease him, he's going to be able to give you good stuff. You just have to get there first. <laughs> That's the only downside to it. So it, it, it is a very interesting thing to really note about the director. Yeah, you know, it's a shame somebody who's as popular and like on screen, he's so charismatic, you know, he's so lovable and you, you want to be his friend. Yeah, very much so. But he's That's, such a dick. Yeah, it, it's a story you hear time and time again about Chevy Chase. Listen, we can go into it here, but there's probably lots of other podcasts or YouTube videos that will do a deep dive into the the bridges that Chevy Chase burned in his career and the people he treated like absolute garbage for no reason. Oh, yeah, you could do a whole podcast just on yeah, that. Yeah, maybe one day we'll cover the fall of Chevy Chase and talk about everything like that, even though I'd be more interested in a bigger asshole like Steven Seagal. Especially with his random lies. You know, I love people who are just random liars. Like what Hulk. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I listened to a podcast on Steven Seagal and it was enlightening. Yeah, no, some of his lies are good. My favorite celebrity lie ever was when uh, Hulk Hogan tried to tell Howard Stern that he was almost the bass player of Metallica. <laughs> it's, I, one of my favorite moments is Howard Stern, I think, asked Lars and he was like, who? Hulk Hogan, the wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> he was more shocked than anything else. Uh, that reaction almost redeemed Lars for the Napster incident from the late nineties. Fletch is a, is an eighties movie all the way through. And you get informed of that by that score. Yeah. It, the score hits you in the face. It's, <laughs> it's so eighties. Yeah. That's eighties. Tastic. Uh, Harold uh, Faltermeyer. Uh, he did the uh, soundtrack to this film and he has a eighties uh, resume that could be envied. Because uh, he did uh, Beverly Hills Cop 1 and 2, The Running Man, and he did uh, Top Gun. And uh, that's my uh, my fact for the score on this movie is, you know, the uh, the score for Top Gun, that kind of droning guitars, they're showing all the things. 
that was originally written for this movie, Fletch. Huh. Yeah. And I believe Billy Idol happened to be recording that day, and I guess he just happened to listen to his two tracks that he had working for these movies and said, like, well, this one with the guitar sounds a lot more like something for a movie about planes and dogfighting. So he switched them out. So this heavily 80s synth score is what we got in Fletch, and the iconic score in Top Gun ended up going to that movie, and I couldn't imagine another way. I couldn't either. Yeah, to think of the Top Gun score as, you know, Fletch's oh walking on the beach just really wouldn't work at all. No. Yeah, I did, the, 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 this score is it's just beautiful 80s cheese. And I mean, there's, I mean, it's almost such 80s cheese you would think it's from a parody film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like it's, it's so on the nose of being so 80s. This movie's a, a mystery film. Yep. To, to start with and, and basically to end. You know, that, that is sort of the core of this movie. A lot of other Chevy Chase films are comedies with a plot sort of shoehorned or shoved into it at the last second to kind of make a movie out of it. No, this is a mystery. Yeah, these are uh, a long series of uh, books uh, written by Gregory McDonald. Mm -hmm. And uh, he has, I think, 11 of these. This is obviously the first one, Fletch, but you know he did write a few more. And uh, Confess Fletch is the second one he wrote, which is a movie we'll cover later. But these already had a strong mystery element to them. They were mysteries initially. They had some very, very light comedic elements. Fletch didn't take things very seriously, but he wasn't full out Chevy Chase like he is in the film. Mm -hmm. So that is one thing that was a little bit different from those books. But otherwise, from what I could tell, I have not read these books. So I'm just, just descriptions off Wikipedia. Well, it's made guys. me want to read them. Yeah. Apparently he does deliver a very nice, tight uh, mystery narrative. Cause that's the one thing I think you can take away from Fletch is like, it gained something from having to watch it a second time because the mystery is actually kind of intricate. Okay, so as we dive into this movie, it starts off with some narration by Chevy Chase. Mm -hmm. I wonder why they chose to start off with narration. I don't know. People love narration in the 80s. You One, think it was just a fad? Well, I, I think it's the easiest way for you to set up something very quickly. And I feel like they felt everything was in place until maybe a test audience saw it. Or studio note said, well, let's make sure we understand 100% that Chevy Chase is, I mean, that Fletch is who he is. So, because that's basically the whole sequence is like, I'm an, a former Marine investigative reporter. Yeah. And I do what I want. And then the boy, that, that tells you about the 80s more so than anything else. That an investigative reporter had the power to do some of the things that Fletch does. I know. That he has the budget to <laughs> to get these disguise, disguises. You know, he's able to send off uh, to Stan Winston to help him make some noses and things like that. So that that's one thing that's very different. Also, one element that I love, he publishes all his articles as Jane Doe. Huh. And that is something that it's just completely foreign to us today, right? Yeah. Like you'd absolutely want that kind of credit. But you know, maybe that element worked when he wrote it in the 70s. It barely works in the 80s, but it's just another interesting interesting element of, of these movies. Well, it's probably like one of those things like Ask Sally or whatever, ask Ask Jesse or yeah, whatever. Yeah, the Jane Doe articles—they're framed in Fletch's office, so yeah, they're I they're big that. deals. They're, they're you know people probably know who he is, uh, even though nobody ever reacts when he tells them he's the uh, Jane Doe. <laughs> nobody reacts at all. Granted, he only tells Tim Madison, but he's very much nonchalant about it. So our, our movie begins with Fletch undercover, working angles on the beach, looking like a bum basically, mm -hmm. walking around in his old Magic Johnson Lakers jersey. And basically, there's drugs on the beach, and Fletch is trying to figure out where they come from. Yeah. Because... He's kind of figured it out. He's just needs... Yeah, yeah. Like, he's, he knows, but he, he has to get some evidence. Yeah. You can't just... <laughs> this is the one thing I like. Fletch doesn't take anything seriously, except for reporting. I mean, nothing in, in the movie he takes seriously at all, except for this job of reporting. That's it. 
Yeah. You know, everything else is just a joke to Fletch in life, except for this. And he, I mean, like I said, he is, he's taking it seriously and he definitely wants to find, uh, find the base of the drugs that are coming in. And that's when he gets a unique offer, right? Yeah. Yeah. He is approached by uh, Tim Matheson's character, Stan Beck. Mr. Stanwick. 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 I knew I was going to get that wrong. Stanwick. And he is offered, what is it? $500,000? I believe so. I didn't write it down. Could have been a hundred thousand. It was the eighties. People people didn't give out millions of bucks in the eighties like they do now. I think it's a hundred thousand. Yeah, a hundred thousand uh, dollars for him to come back and murder him because he has bone cancer and he doesn't want to die a painful death. And immediately upon being given this story, Fletch immediately smells bullshit. What do you think about that proposal? If it was you, <laughs> well, I'd be like Fletch. I'd really want to find out what the fuck is going on. Yeah, yeah, because I would assume you can probably find better ways to get your insurance money. If there's one thing about rich people, they always find a way to get their money. Yeah. So he needed something else out of Fletch, but Fletch was smart enough to figure that out. And that's the one the one thing that I like is Fletch is doesn't take him seriously at all, which you can tell puts him a little bit on edge. Uh-huh. Like he's expecting a lot more like shock and surprise from this, and you know nothing bothers Fletch so. He sort of goes along with it, but he has to have Fletch because he's the only person on the beach who fits his build, which is a huge plot point later on in the film. So Chevy Chase agrees to the proposal. So Fletch goes all in here and, and takes the, the deal because yeah. basically he, has to, he wants to figure out what's going to happen here. Now, because it's a movie, we know our two plots are going to converge at some point, but he doesn't know that. So we get what is basically a comedic caper of... Chevy Chase playing different characters, which is an element that is not really part of the book. I do understand that Fletch can use some disguises, but it's not something he's known for. That's a Chevy Chase element that he added to this film. Yeah, this master of disguise thing. See, I had heard of the the movie Fletch, and that was because I haven't seen it. This is the first time I've saw it. Oh, okay. So um, I'd heard of the movie Fletch, and I'd heard that there was like a master of disguise Element to it. Element yeah. to it. Yeah. But that's about all I've heard. Mm-hmm. So I thought the movie was just, you know, like. like Master of Disguise. Yes. <laughs> like that horrible movie. <laughs> Am I not fletchy enough for the Fletch Club? Yeah. I thought uh, <laughs> it was just going to be jokes like that. And no, no, probably the cringiest joke from the disguise is it, it's a dream sequence. And that's the Kareem Abdul Jabbar, the Lakers scene. Yeah. Which is so close to being racist. So close. like it feels like it's like, like he comes out and you're like, oh, is he in blackface? And like, no, he's not. No, he just has an afro. He's just wearing an afro. There's one throwaway joke about him being from Harlem, but that's really as far as it goes. For the 80s, it was good nature. And even today, it might be a little bit strange, but there's nothing particularly racist about it. You yeah. Know? The afro is played for laughs, and, and there's nothing disparaging towards black people in any way, shape, or form. But I was absolutely terrified he was going to come out with shoe polish on his face. It almost makes fun of white people, actually. Yeah, it does. It does. It goes the opposite way, which I, I really enjoy. It, it's more poking fun at him for believing that sort yeah. of thing. It's a fun scene. Well, I mean, like I said, it is cringy, but it can almost make you smile. I know it did for me because I remembered it had, you know, those rose colored glasses of nostalgia and seeing it today was a bit, uh, the other day was a bit silly, but you know, very few of these characters don't elicit giggles or a smile in some way, shape or form. I love the way Fletch does all these things because Fletch is a master bullshitter. Yeah. You know, for a guy who can't handle anybody else's bullshit, he's a master bullshitter which is something that I just absolutely love. And if he's caught in a lie, he doubles down, you know, and that, that's what real bullshitters do. What I really like. Um, I think one of the great examples is when he puts in the buck teeth and the wig and he is the, um, the plane technician. Mm-hmm. And they're like, all right, you got to check the hoses. And he goes up to the front of the plate and checks the luggage. They're like, Oh, do you want to look back here in the engine instead? He's like, Oh man, last plane I worked on had the engine up front. 
And then he goes up there and they're like, well, you're going to have to adjust this. He's like, okay, well, I need uh, 20 pounds of uh, precise ball bearings. And what do you need ball bearings for? Guys, it's all about ball bearings today. <laughs> you know, he's just doubling down, going further and further down that rabbit hole into the bullshit. Because that's just how Fletch works. And I love that element of it. He can bullshit his way out of almost anything except for one weakness. He can't come up with decent fake names. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great gag. He's like, I'm Dr. Rosen, Rosen, Rosenstein. Like, you know, like no matter what, he just can't come up with a, a good name. And it's a, a gag they repeat, you know, three or four times throughout the movie. And I, I really enjoy it. I'd love a film with running gags. And this movie has them. Mm-hmm. Is there an element in the movie you don't care for? That I don't care for? Um, I think the the actual caper itself, the story, is lacking. You think so? Yeah. I I think there could be, you know what? In all honesty, I think the movie rides a nice line upon trying to tell you a murder mystery and being a little, a little light and, and being a comedy that's easily digestible, you know, it's having to walk a fine line. I think it does a pretty nice job because I think if you go too much further into the mystery, you really can slow the movie down a, a lot more. Yeah. And the movie doesn't really suffer from that. You only feel a little bit of the slowness here and there. Um, but the, the, for the most part, it moves fairly well, but I do agree with you. They could certainly pay more mind to the mystery here in the plot, especially later on when Joe Don Baker comes on, like e- even after I watched it a couple of times, I'm not hundred percent certain how the cops really figured into everything. Obviously I know they were running some of the drugs, but I don't know much, much beyond that, you know? Yeah. But it, I guess at the end of the day, it's not that important to the narrative. Right. So, um, I also didn't care for the narration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with narration, it, it requires a different kind of acting than just being able to be on screen because mm-hmm. Chevy's a very physical kind of comedian. And even from his eyebrows, he can deliver a joke. And he's unable to do that when it's just his voice. And, and it shows. So, you know, the narration isn't very good. One of the things that, that I really want to talk about is that, um, and I even didn't mention her in the cast root off, is uh, Dana Wheeler uh, Nicholson. She plays Stanwick's uh, wife, or one of his wives. And she is Fletch's love interest for the movie. And listen, she isn't bad. And they have chemistry. They mm-hmm. do. But... Her being there is almost inconsequential. Yeah. She, yeah. She's just like a plot element and something for Fletch to kind of. A love win. interest. Yeah. To win at the end of the week because these movies kind of have to have it. You could have cut anything with their story and it wouldn't have mattered to the narrative all that much. But I will say they do have nice chemistry and she's very pretty. Yeah. And, and she's not bad or anything. She's not a bad actress. I don't. I know I've seen her in a couple other things, but nothing else coming to mind right now. But like I said. She's a bit under, she is majorly underwritten and just doesn't come into play. Considering how much her husband is screwing over, like, you know, screwing her over with a separate wife, like, that trauma is more about, like, Fletch making a discovery than it is about, like, her life is ruined or anything like that, or she's been deceived. Absolutely. Uh, did you know that this was Chevy Chase's favorite movie? Yes, yes, I did know this is one of his favorite roles. He took it, he took he it very, very seriously. To be himself. Yeah, and then that's obviously what drew him to the part. Um, and maybe that's why the director decided to work with him again on the sequel. Well, yeah, there's really only one person that at that point who could have come in and, and done it. And, and I think you, you are right. I think Chevy Chase is Fletch. That's who he is, except not funny. Yeah. You know, Chevy Chase is a funny guy. What I'm talking about in, in real life, he does what he wants, says what he wants. And doesn't really care what anybody else thinks. And if you're not going to be a charming guy landing jokes, that's going to be real fucking grating. And that's mm-hmm. probably what it's like dealing with Chevy Chase all the time. Yeah. So th- th- that's a reason I think that he really uh, attached himself to this film. And 
And, you know, I mean, it, it works for, for what it is, you know, Chevy Chase aside, you know, th- this, this movie had trouble getting to the screen because they had a hard time trying to find somebody to play Fletch. When they sold the movie rights initially, um, the author, uh, Gregory McDonald, he had held on to the ability to sign off on whoever was going to play Fletch. And he had turned down uh, a number of, of other actors as well. Yeah, he turned down Mick Jagger and Burt Reynolds. Yeah, he did turn down Burt Reynolds. To this day, I don't think Mick Jagger is a real one. I think like a studio executive said, what if we got Mick Jagger? And he was like, we're not going to fucking do that. But Burt Reynolds probably would have been a realistic. You never know. Mick Jagger could have been, you know, interested in being in a movie at that time. Yeah, I, I guess so. I, I guess so. This wouldn't have been the one I'd have picked. Mick Jagger wouldn't have worked in this at all. But Maybe Burt Reynolds, oddly enough, Burt Reynolds, that, that could have been fine, actually. But some of the other choices they had were like Barry Bostwick and uh, Richard Dreyfus. Well, they, they, Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus got really close to getting this part because they offered it to Chevy Chase, and the author said, Oh, Chevy would be great. He's got a great comedic style that would work as a character. And Chevy turned it down. <laughs> so they had to go to other actors, and it wasn't until they kind of bounced around for another year that Chevy became available again and decided to do it. Hmm. So it saved the the production, really. At that point, they had written the script to be a little bit more comedic. So I think that really fell into Chevy Chase's favor. The Fletch character became more like him and the rest is movie history. Do you think Fletch is a good reporter? Yes, he's a damn good reporter. Because his it, there's a sequence where his editor, and by the way, the editor of the paper is just basically like the cop character from any 80s action movie. Because he's like, what do you mean you're out there trying to do this? I need a rest. I need results. That's basically his entire character, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, I need, I need something to print. And like Fletch won't give up any article or give up anything because he has to nail the guy at the top. Because Fletch has such a contempt for, I think, the rich and people who are far more well-off and taking advantage of people. Like That's who he's after. Because he could have busted George Went on the beach for selling drugs, right? Yeah. He could have came in and said, this is the guy who's doing it out there, but he knows he's just a pawn. He wants the king. And that's one of the things I really like about Fletch is he has this dedication to that because he knows he has to do it right. And it is one of those great elements of, uh, of the story and a bit of the character work that isn't just right on the screen. It's his utter dedication to getting the story right and getting everyone who was responsible uh, convicted or in trouble in some way, shape or form. He's a hell of a reporter. He really is. I agree. Yeah. I think it's it's the most endearing quality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 If you're screwed over, you want somebody like Fletch on your case. Do you think Fletch's <clears throat> mini disguises are cheap or do you like them? <laughs> some of them are cheap. Some of them I do like. You know, I, I think like the, some of the gags that work with it are, are basically what decides it. Because some of the gags aren't as strong as other ones. So that really does play a large part in it. I'm sort of 50-50 on the costumes. So you know, that's about, I think, the the ratio of them really working. I thought his disguises were charming. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're Maybe not, not bad. the tennis player because that's kind of like lame. But yeah, yeah, yeah. He he does. Uh, I like. I think it's kind of kind of cute. It's better than the Master of Disguise movie. I'll, yeah, I'll cer- certainly so. And and I think like I, I did like if I did like some of the stuff as him as a tennis instructor though because he gets to meet with uh, St- Stanwick's wife, Stanwick's. You know what I'm Stay talking about. The, the romantic interest. He got to talk with her a little bit. And one of my favorite uh, other running gags, which is him charging the Underhills. Yeah. Um, and the, when they first get to the country club, it's a really quick sequence of like, I'm Mr. Underhill and you will do what I say when I say. Like he's jumping the ass of some waiter or something, just being a huge asshole for no reason. And Fletch is on the other end of the room and Fletch is like, got to remember that name. And he charges everything to Underhill because he saw him being a huge douchebag. And every time, what does Fletch do? Every time 
he gets room service or anything from the club charged to Underhill. He charges Underhill. Yeah, he charges Underhill, and he gives the waiter a huge tip yeah. every time. Because that's the kind of guy Fletch is. He's looking out for the working man. You know, I mean, Fletch is a blue-collar kind of guy, and I love that. I really do. It's not something that's specifically said. I think a, a movie, most movies today couldn't help but draw your attention to that. But it's just an element of the story, telling, the, telling you who the character is. And I love that in a script. Yeah, it's something I didn't catch, so yeah. good catch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a really good movie. The, the jokes are dated. The score is very dated. But I think it's watchable for anybody today. Yeah. I, I really do. I had written down, how do you feel about Fletch as a character? But I think you've yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, think I, I think I talked about that to a, a pretty large yeah. uh, extent. So, um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I like this movie, and I was glad to rediscover it, and it didn't suck. Because sometimes you go and watch those movies you saw a bunch as a kid, and you're sort of horrified by how terrible they are. But Fletch is a real solid recommend, everybody. Do you think Fletch is unfair to Gail Stanwyck? No. I mean, the movie's more unfair to Gail than, than Fletch is. <laughs> I mean, he kind of uses her in a way. Yeah, yeah. But it is true he does use her, but, but, but it is to an end. You know, he is trying to catch everyone and, you know, make sure the right people are put in jail and you clear his name. So I, I think that that is sort of the goal. But yeah, I mean, I guess he is taking advantage of her using her so he can get his story. Yeah. But I guess if it has a positive outcome, I guess the ends do justify the means sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as much as I hate to kind of well, it's like throw that said, down. She's just not a very good character. Yeah, yeah. The movie does more of, her, more of a disservice to her, to be frank. Uh, the only other uh, interesting fact I found on this movie was at one point, Kevin Smith wrote a script for a prequel. Oh, yeah. With uh, Jason Lee playing Fletch. Oh, you just hit what I'm just about to go into a huge diatribe about. Harvey Weinstein wouldn't let him and said he worked on Ghosts of Girlfriends Past, in which Ben Affleck was the star. They pissed off Weinstein, who said he would greenlight the prequel if Ben Affleck was in it. And he didn't do the film as it was in development hell. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's sort of the thing here. Uh, moving on to the other movie here. Uh, um, a, a third Fletch film was in flux for a very, very long time. Um, there were opportunities for the original director and Chevy Chase to come back in the 90s, but Chase's star had faded a bit. Uh, originally, um, Kevin Smith was hired to work on a Fletch movie with Chevy Chase. And they met very briefly, and they were like oil and water. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> uh, Chevy Chase is, is a guy, he wants to improv. He wants to work a scene out. He wants to find the joke in the sequence. And Kevin Smith is, a, it's on the page. You read what's on the page. <laughs> you know, he doesn't really like for those guys to improv a lot at all. They they didn't mix together well. And then, like you said, the movie then um, flowed over to doing with more of Kevin Smith's uh, style of production as Miramax uh, bought it out. Yeah. They got the rights. And so he wanted to do it originally with either Jason Lee or Ben Affleck. Uh, if you listen to, and this is around the time of chasing Amy uh, back in the day, uh, the chasing Amy commentary track had a Jason Lee and Kevin Smith sort of talking about Fletch, Fletch one. And <laughs> it's weird. You listen to it. It feels like it's a done deal. Like they're just about to step off the commentary track and go shoot this movie that never ended up happening. But that's all it was. The movie just got caught up in production hell and 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 really just just never occurred. Bounced around from director to director. And really, once Smith left left the project, a bunch of other comedy directors kind of came in there. You know, Zach Braff was attached at one point for like five or six years without any movement on the production. And eventually just sort of got drop kicked and forgotten. Um, it got bought again uh, by another studio. And that's when uh, John Hamm was uh, able to get hold of the the project, become an executive producer on it. And uh, deliver us uh, confess Fletch, 
yeah. uh, this year after so so long. Uh, and by the way, in all that, we forgot to mention that there is a terrible Fletch sequel, Fletch Lives, that is just uh, the original film, but worse, basically. I was kind of curious about the sequel. Uh, you know, I realized as I was watching Fletch, a lot of my memories of cringy things were not in that movie. They were in Fletch Yeah, cause there's a sequence where he has to try to one-up the Ku Klux Klan in the in the sequel. And I, I remember it being like really cheesy. <laughs> mm. And I know that's obviously that that's in the sequel. That's not in this movie. And YouTube confirmed that today. I, I was able to see a, a production. I was able to see the trailer of Fletch Lives. And there was a shot of him like running off the clan. I was like, oh, okay, that was in that movie. Fletch Lives basically killed off this property because Fletch was a, what, a, a six, seven million dollar movie? Yeah. Made just below 60 and in 85. That's enormous. So there should have been a dozen Fletch movies after every book. And there wasn't because Fletch Lives failed. But we have finally gotten that opportunity uh, with uh, Greg Matola directing uh, John Hamm. Listen, where's my cast list here? Uh, one, Marsha Gay Harden, uh, Lorenza Izzo, John Slattery. So we have a, a, a Mad Men team up again from those two guys, him and John Hamm. Kyle McLaughlin, Roy Wood Jr., and uh, Annie Mamolo. And that uh, is the cast of Confess Fletch. So pretty decent cast. Yeah. Yeah. Marsha Gay Harden. Yeah, love her. Yeah. Marsha Gay Harden has a, a really cheesy accent in this film and is great. So this choose scenery. Yeah, she really does. This movie has a very similar feel to the original film as a mystery is very much at the heart of this. I think the mystery is more of a heart of this film than the original. That was what I was going to say, is that if you were to say that this was a greedy reboot, you could say it in its caper. Yeah, because I think there's a, a few less comedic hijinks because all the costume stuff is gone. Yeah. Which is fair. That's not what John Hamm does. Yeah. You know, John Hamm is not a guy who's known for going on SNL and playing four different characters in a night. That's not what he does. Very few actors can do that. Right. So I'm glad that they really didn't put that into the movie. But instead, you know, John Hamm doubles down on playing Fletch as someone who is still the master bullshitter, doesn't care for any kind of authority at all, um, which is played brilliantly with him and Roy Wood Jr. as the police officer, mm -hmm. because he, he doesn't care about anything. Even when he's arrested, Fletch barely cares. So it, it really does have that same feel, except with a much heavier emphasis on the murder. I mean, on, on our murder mystery. Yeah. And so our, our, our mystery is this. We have... Uh, Lorenza Izzo, she is playing a socialite who has had her father's most famous paintings of Picasso and some other paintings uh, stolen, basically. And Fletch is charged with having to find them while her father is also gone missing. And when Fletch arrives in New York City to stay at an Airbnb that his girlfriend, also uh, Lorenzo Izzo, has set up, he discovers that there is a dead body waiting for him yeah. in there. And so not only do we have a mystery we are trying to solve, we have the father trying to figure out what he is in the background. We have a girl who was murdered here. And there's a great sequence early on where Fletch is talking to his girlfriend all the way back in Italy, trying to explain the situation. And he's going through her Instagram and he's looking at the pictures and he sees this young girl who won't get to live out the rest of her life. And there's a look of determination on Fletch's face. Like, I'm going to find out who did this and I'm going to make sure he goes to jail. Yeah. And I, I like that only because that's who Fletch is. He's not a superhero, but when he sees somebody wronged, he's going to do what he can to fix it because not many people can. And a lot of people aren't going to give a shit. Right. Now, one of the things I do love is that, and I know I'm getting ahead of myself, by the way, spoiler warning, this movie just came out and we are yes, going to spoil every spoiler. single element. So if you're still listening, you haven't seen the movie for the love of God, please stop. Go watch confess Fletch off Showtime unlimited or wherever you choose to watch it. And come back and, and listen to what we have to say. Because my favorite element of this whole movie is everything Fletch does. He doesn't solve the mystery. 
He's 100% wrong. The cop, Roy Wood Jr., solves the mystery. Mm-hmm. Him and his partner, they, they save Fletch and his girlfriend and save the day. And I, that element is something that I really, really love. Because to me, like, that's Fletch. No one bats a thousand. Yeah, he did a very nice job sort of getting to that point. But, you know, his ability as a master bullshitter got him away from what would have been the truth. Yeah. And it, it cost him his girl, too, because he accuses her of being the killer in the very end, only to have the person he didn't think was a fault pull a gun on him and be like, oh, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, can I get a do-over on that one? <laughs> and it's, it's a great gag. It really is. It made me laugh right at the end of the movie. And she ends up dumping him. And you're like, well, you know, it's fair, because at the end, she didn't believe. He didn't believe in her. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't believe in her, you know. And that that decision had repercussions. It's something Fletch can identify with. And and not to mention Fletch is trying to prove his innocence through the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. Because obviously, you know, if you show up and there is a dead white girl um, in the place where you're going to stay, they're going to look at you pretty hard for being the murderer. Yeah. And, you know, we do get a really intricate plot. And matter of fact, it's a movie I can't wait to really watch again so I can see everything another time. Yeah, I felt the same way. Like, we definitely need a second watch at this movie. Yeah, th- this is the one downside about doing movies when they come out. And, you know, we, we're we only going to get one chance to watch it. Fletch, I've seen a few dozen times. I know you've only seen it the one time, but but still, you, you would at least heard the property and were aware. Yeah. You know, th- this is a movie, like, I'm only tricking on the one time. And I think it does a very nice job writing the line on those jokes and the Fletchisms, if you will. And trying to tell a very competent murder mystery. And the movie walks it very well. And I, I think I like it more than the original films, to be perfectly honest. Certainly more than I like Fletch Libs. Uh, John Hamm is perfect in the role. Some of the sequences, some of the comedy that he brings, while not as in-your-face as Chevy Chase, is really great. Like when the boyfriend of the murder girl comes to look for him at the dinner party. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm, he's like, I'm looking for Fletch. Like, are you him? Yeah, that's me. He pulls out the gun and puts it right in Fletch's face. He goes, you know what? Actually, it's not me. I get that one wrong all the time. <laughs> you know, once again, he never takes anything seriously. The, the character is just picked up perfectly from 1985 and carried in 2022 about as well as anybody could really hope for. Yeah. It reminded me a little bit of like Superman Returns. Like they just tried to pick up Christopher Reeves in 1977 and, you know, do that same character again. And that movie is way less successful than Fletch than Confess Fletch's. It it just it's a great spiritual uh, sequel as well as being like a, a reboot of the entire franchise. So I guess you would say that you like John Hamm as Fletch very much. So yeah, I think so too. He was great. I mean, he perfectly encompasses the whole old Fletch character. Yeah, really well. Yeah, no, it's it's something I absolutely agree with. He. He nails exactly what Fletch is supposed to be. There are no disguises in this movie. There are Yay. there are no disguises. Yes, he is no longer the master of disguise. He's just the master of bullshitting. Why do you think they decided to remove the disguises? Well, it's like I said, you know, Ham, that's not what to he... To ex- modernize it, maybe? Well, no, I, do, I just think, don't think that's what Ham excels in. You know, you got to remember, like, Chevy Chase is an SNL guy. That required you playing seven characters a night. Mm-hmm. You know, when you make an Eddie Murphy movie, he plays multiple characters. Because he came from SNL, where you had to play seven characters a night. You know, that's a unique thing, which we now bad example, but we just talked about it a lot. Master of Disguise. Yeah. What does Dan, Dan Carvey do in that film? Plays a bunch of different roles because that's what he did on SNL. And he's good at it. Yeah. I like Dana Carvey a lot. Yeah. Dan, Dan, you, that's an actor who should have had a much better career. Yes. Someone should have done a much better job writing a Dana Carvey movie for him to be in. 
Instead, we had, um, you know, Master of Disguise, which is probably the only thing that takes advantage of his talents uh, more so than anything else. There's an 80s movie I can think of as well. Um, I was going to say Opportunity Knocks, but that's Michael J. Fox. I'll figure it out when I'm the second we're done recording. <laughs> I will remember anything that I can't remember during the podcast. I will recall on the way back to the couch <laughs> when we are done. When I put down my headphones, I'll be like, Engelbert Humperdinck. That's who I was thinking of. Like it happens to me every time where I'll just put it down like Angela Lansbury. That's what, you know. But I think if you're a fan of this character in those original movies, this is your salvation to some extent. Yeah. To get this, because we we talked about the development hell and what it's been for Fletch, you know, to know that you got one more movie out of it. Now, the only downside is, you know, this movie didn't do very well at the box office because it came out on, um, you know, we were able to stream it less than a month after release. Yeah. Um. So it it didn't get the build up it needed. It didn't get the theatrical release that it really should have deserved. Uh, so we probably won't get a, another Fletch movie, <laughs> sadly. Uh, the franchise might die here, but it's a great one to go out on. Well, they kind of leave it open in they, the end. They do, yeah, because Fletch, Fletch just goes wherever. You know, That's just how the books work, I would assume, if, if they've done so many. So, you know, I would love to see another one with Matola directing and John Hamm in it. I, I really would. You know, financially, that, that may not make sense anymore, which would be a real shame. If you were a fan of these movies, you finally got what you wanted, a very... Uh, successful successor to those flicks. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and if you're a fan of the books, then, I, man, I hope you enjoyed this movie since, I, from what I understand, it sticks pretty close to what was in the original novel. From what I understand, once again, I did not read that book at all. So, Is there anything else that you would like to say about this movie as uh, we move on here? Uh, yeah, I did want to mention that Annie Bumalo, uh she plays Eve in the movie. She's uh, the, the neighbor at the place where Fletch is staying. Uh, she has maybe the funniest scene in the movie. Uh, she's preparing dinner, and Fletch goes over to her home to start asking her some questions. And this is a comedic sequence filled with uh, the world's most oblivious and superficial woman. And it, it's so great as she is utterly butchering dinner, her dog peeing everywhere. She eventually lights the kitchen on fire and slices her hand open and completely no sells both of those things while Fletch is trying to save her apartment. It, it is. Yeah, it's a funny moment. Yeah, it, it's a great comedic sequence. And that's probably the only thing that matches the comedic highs of the original movie. You know, while there's a lot of great giggle moments or uh, I did a lot of smirking in this movie after a, a, a Fletch quip. But like that is the sequence that matches like that intense, that comedic intensity mm-hmm. of the original film. It, it, it's it's really good. I mean, like I said, these two films are are getting uh, very high recommendations from me. You know, go and check out you know uh, Confess Fletch any way you can. I have no idea where Fletch is streaming or Fletch Lives is, but go check those out as well. Go check at least Fletch out as well. You know, two real high recommends for me this week. Yeah, we own Fletch, so we didn't have to stream it anywhere. <clears throat> luckily. Yeah, and I actually might end up buying Confess Fletch as well because I really liked it. And honestly, more films should take advantage of the comedic talents of John Hamm. I know he's so talented. He's yeah. so good looking. Yeah, he really is. But we, now we we kind of glossed over the fact that Chevy Chase is a straight up sex symbol in in Fletch. Is he? Yeah, yeah. So I went and looked this up, and I asked my mom. I was like, "Was was banging Chevy Chase something women talked about?" And apparently, it was. Huh. So yeah, Chevy Chevy was a piece of meat back in the day for the ladies. Really? Yeah, they were they were they, they wanted to take a ride in that Chevrolet. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, John Hamm is pretty similar. I couldn't tell you anything about Chevy Chase. I look at him, I'm like, yeah, it's whatever. But you know, I, I look at John Hamm, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can I, I can understand homosexuality. <laughs> <laughs> he is a, yeah. he's a he's a handsome he's in the bubble he's so he's good. in the bubble handsome guy i love john ham i want him to get more work i really do 
All right. So now we move on to the reviews portion of this podcast. Um, yeah, that's my favorite part. I love the reviews. <laughs> Fletch 85 got a 77% on Rotten Tomatoes, 6, 6.9 on IMDb. Confess Fletch, a little bit higher, 86% on Rotten Tomatoes, 6.5 on IMDb. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. I could not find any. I went through 400 reviews and I could not find any one star reviews that were worth a damn. Yeah, that aren't just like, fuck this movie or something yeah, like that. Yeah, like something simple Chevy like Chase that. Chevy Chase sucks. You, know? you, you got to yeah. give me a little bit more than Chevy Chase yeah, sucks. Yeah, yeah. Guys, we need content. So if you're going to deliver one star reviews, you got to give us something. Yeah, so <laughs> this is a three out of a three out of ten. Um, this movie couldn't decide if it wanted to be a comedy or a mystery. It's possible to be both. Forty eight hours comes to mind, but this one doesn't do either well. The basic concept seems usable, but the jokes are lame and far between, and the drama doesn't hold up under all the weak humor attempts at humor. There are a few giggles. The airplane mechanics in the ba- basketball fantasy are the best, but it generally goes down with a hardly, hardly a smile. It's not a one, but it certainly doesn't meet my standard of an hour and a half well spent. Re- required to get a five. It's about midway in between. Call it a three. Sad to think that this is rated as Chevy Chase's fourth best movie. Well, I mean, you know, comedy is subjective. That's the one thing I, I do always say. This was this review came from 2007, so maybe the jokes didn't land with them because they the jokes are kind of outdated. Yeah, they they are outdated. Like I said, if you're coming from a, you know a younger audience, not used to 80s movies, we grew up on 80s movies, seen them a ton, so we're used to the kind of setup and the jokes that are in them. And yeah, I mean, the first thing I'll tell you is the movie's humor is dated. There are a lot of jokes that are just kind of kind of grown and just get past them because it's just the kind of joke that was told in the 80s. A joke that was fresh, you know, in 85 is mm-hmm. not exactly so fresh in 2022 or 2007. So, you know, with that being said, it, you know, comedy is going to be one of those things that either works for you or it doesn't. You know, yeah. you know, I love the 40 year old virgin and consider it almost perfect. But I know a lot of people that don't enjoy that film. And yeah, listen, I it, didn't. Yeah, it's, for it's the just, longest time. Yeah, it's just the way it is. You know, sometimes you just you just don't think something is funny, or a person is funny, or the scenario they're in is funny. I think Conan O'Brien is one of the funniest men alive, but not everybody agrees with me. Yeah, yeah, you're 100 percent right. He is indeed the funniest man who ever lived. He is. Yeah, no, hands no, down. No one will ever say a bad word about Conan O'Brien on this podcast. Or the, in this house. Yeah, that's right. I converted you over to Conan O'Brien. Yes, you did. Yeah, you didn't even realize that the Tonight Show was a show that took place every night. <laughs> I remember the first time I showed you Conan on the Tonight Show, folks. I didn't watch those kind of shows, so <laughs> yeah, you were just my like, parents weren't into that kind of stuff. You told me, "Oh, well, that was really funny." So, does it come on again next week? No, it's on tomorrow. <laughs> oh, okay. So just these two days? No, he does it all week. It's the, the Tonight Show. Yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> like the idea that you were unaware of the daily variety shows that take place every every night on national television since the '30s really blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> my parents weren't into that kind of stuff. Uh, okay, so here is a two out of ten. Excuse me, ma'am. Oh, I believe we have to hear from the greatest critic who ever lived. One, Mister Roger. Yeah, Ebert. he was alive. So yes, he he was he lived for many years. Uh, he gave Fletch two and a half stars. By the way, Mister mm. Ebert says, "Why did Chevy Chase want to play I am Fletcher?" And that is his name, by the way the laconic hero of Gregory McDonald's bestsellers? Was it because Chase saw a way to bring Fletch to life? Or was it more likely because Chase saw Chase saw Fletch was very much like himself? 
The problem with Fletch is that the central performance is the is an anthology of Chevy Chase's mannerisms in search of a character. Other elements in the movie are quite good. The supporting characters, the ingenious plot, the unexpected locations. But whenever the movie threatens to work, there's Chevy Chase with his monotone, deadpan cynicism, distancing himself from the material. Fletch is not the first movie that Chase has undercut with his mannerisms, but it is the best one since Foul Play. Uh, it's a pretty forgettable movie with him and uh, Goldie Hawn, by the way. Back to Ebert. His problem as an actor is that he perfected a personal style on Saturday Night Live all those many years ago and has never been able to work outside of it. The basic Chevy Chase personality functions well at the length of a TV sketch when there's no time to create a new character, but in a movie, it grows deadening. Fletch is filled with a series of extraordinary situations, and Chase seems to react to all of them with the same wry dubiousness. The problem is Chase's performance tends to reduce all the scenes to the same level, at least as far as he is concerned. He projects such an inflexible mask of cool detachment, of ironic running commentary, that we're prevented from identifying with him. If he thinks this is all just a little too silly for words, what are we to think? If we're more involved in the action than he is, does that make us chumps? Fletch needed an actor more interested in playing the character than in playing himself. Wow. Yeah, so... Um, he wasn't Ebert, enamored with Chevy Chase. Yeah, Ebert liked the movie, but really thought Chase held it back. And, and you know, that's the one thing I do like about great criticism is Ebert isn't wrong. He's not at all. No. Chase is playing Chevy Chase. The the, pro, the thing is, it works for the character. Or at least you you think so. I think so. Most of America did. Yeah. But Ebert saw a movie that could have been more and held back by some of the things that Chevy Chase is. So I can certainly see that. Um, but um, I, I disagree. And, and that's, that's what's great about Ebert. I, I love the man, but there are many reviews of his that I, I disagree with wholeheartedly. Okay, here is a... Two-star review. I also couldn't find any one-star reviews that were worth a damn for this movie. It just goes to show you both movies are solid. Um, you get the impression from very the very first scene that the dialogue is supposed to be to zing back and forth, but there's no rhythm to the scene or to the performances, and it just falls flat. It feels like everyone is making a first read read through the script rather than a performance. This is pretty much how the whole film feels. The direction and editing just give no go to the film, and so it plods along like a dull police procedural. I was surprised when I looked at IMDb that this wasn't the director's first film. It feels like it was made by someone who hasn't found his feet. I saw the first Fletch film way back when, and while I was never a massive Chevy Chase fan, he clearly brought a lot to the role. John Hamm, meanwhile, just doesn't give off any charm or energy at all in any of the scenes, and so it makes no sense how people react to him. He feels a bit old for the role, too, compared to the rest of the cast, as far as it goes. The locations and lighting are great throughout. The cinematography is fine at times, and at others, it feels a bit too bland. Overall, I just found nothing really entertaining in the film. It's not a comedy, it's no drama, and there's no chemistry between any of the actors. I will give him a, a little credit, because I didn't think about uh, John Hamm being 50. And uh, that is a solid point. He is yeah. a little bit older than like his girlfriend or <clears throat> some of the other characters he interacts with. But I mean, that's Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's not that big a deal. And I, I mean, if he didn't find the charisma in the film from, from John Hamm's performance, I, I don't know what to tell him, you know, because I think he's charismatic as hell. I, 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 I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I couldn't disagree with that review Re really anymore. 
He's obviously entitled to his opinion. I just think it's dead wrong. Dead wrong. Dead wrong. Hope the director finds his feet wherever they are. <laughs> <laughs> I like, like he needs to find his footing. And like, I don't know if he's a native English speaker or not. I, 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 I end up playing a lot of NBA 2K with guys who are not English speakers a lot. So sometimes they'll tell me something like that. Or I'm like, what? Like, where I just don't understand, but they're trying to translate a phrase and like, oh, I see what you're trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, I think the other day someone was trying that there's more than one way to skin a cat. And he was like, there's more than many ways to butcher animals. And I was like, <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? And he showed me, like, he's like, highlighted what I was looking at. More than one way to skin a cat. Oh, yeah. You shouldn't say it the way you did. That made you sound like a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, if you believe that we are psychopaths and you want to let us know that. Uh, please reach out to us at grittyrebootcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and like and subscribe. That's right. Please. Yeah, um, Gritty Reboot also at Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Uh, you can find us uh, both there. You can find us on all those. And by all means, reach out, let us know whatever, put in a request for the show. Because, uh, yeah, I think next week we're doing um, the town that uh, dreaded sundown or sunset. Every time I have to say this movie on the podcast, I forget if it's the town that dreaded sundown or sunset. I know you've said both. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have. Yeah. And I'll go back and edit this one where I only say it the right way. And you guys will never know that I screwed up <laughs> unless I'm too lazy to edit this part out. And then I've just given the game away. Yes, you have. <laughs> uh, uh, you guys just found out that I'm really lazy. Uh, all right, guys. We enjoyed Fletch. You guys should go check out some of these movies. And you guys have a good one. All right. All right. To take care.